Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is the best kind of entrepreneur because she is the kind of person who created something out of a need that she had as she was an Amazon seller. So she was an Amazon seller almost a decade ago, and then she had a problem and she thought there's got to be a better way to deal with this and created a solution for it. And today she is the founder of that uh, solution called So Stocked. Uh, which is a well-known inventory management software for Amazon sellers. She's going to share all the ways to deal with inventory management. And also recently, so Stock was doing so well, it was acquired by Carbon6. Uh, so um, she's the proud owner of that. And when she's not working, she likes to cook, garden, and read in her free time. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Chelsea Goyen. Welcome to the show, Ch Chelsea. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. You know, like I said, you are my favorite kind of person uh, that I heard this term uh, in one of the conferences by a keynote speaker called, you have to be prepared to eat your own dog food. So <laughs> yeah. when you do that, you know that whatever yeah. you're working on is going to work. So you're one of those people. So tell me something in so stock you do very well right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the the focus has shifted in the past couple of years into inventory management. And so one of the things that we're doing really well is finding that sweet spot between avoiding stockouts and avoiding overstocking. And that's something that we call min-max restocking. It's setting those minimums and those maximums and always staying within that range. So if you're selling 90 days worth of inventory, you, you stock up to 90, sell through to 30, and then stock back up to 90. So that would be min-max restocking, which is controlling the balance between avoiding stockouts and avoiding overstocking. I see. Okay. So this reminds me of, this is an interesting concept, uh, because when I was an Amazon seller, I built a platform mm -hmm. uh, which was... It wasn't private label, but it was reselling. Mm -hmm. And so it was mainly playing the buy box. And playing the buy box, those days, there were no repricers, no nothing. So I came up with a similar concept of the minimum and the maximum. And today, it's the standard for all the repricers. They say, put in your yeah. minimum, put in your maximum. So, uh, of course, the challenge is knowing what that minimum is and what, and that changes over time. Like if you have yeah. inventory, uh, you have enough inventory and the price is going up and things like that. So in your case, you have a similar model. So you're de defining what is your minimum and what okay. is your maximum. And your maximum is 90-day requirement. Minimum it, is 30-day. 90-day would be the most. Some people do 60-day. It just depends on how how quickly they can turn over their inventory. So if they have smaller orders, they may want to send uh, a larger amount. So they may need 90 days, but if they are a larger seller, it may be, you know, a 60 day turn. So it really, it depends on some of those, those factors. 30 days, I would say is always the minimum. Uh, some people do 45 days. You want to not go below 30 because Amazon has something called geo ranking. And that looks at how much inventory is dispersed throughout the country. And then if you don't have enough inventory, they'll start reducing you in the ranking in certain parts of the country because you don't have enough inventory to supply uh, the two day prime uh, delivery. I see, so that's very valuable information. So geo ranking for Amazon means that if you are not carrying enough inventory, there isn't enough that they can distribute around the country in their distribution centers to fulfill mm -hmm. the order. So therefore they modulate 
the amount of orders you're getting. And of course, they do that by ranking you down, right? That's what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, extremely valuable. So as far as the uh, the score, IPI score. Sure. Uh, so for listeners' benefit, that is the inventory performance index that Amazon assigns. Mm -hmm. So you want your IPI score to be high so that you're not paying high storage rates. Uh -huh. uh, if it drops, that means you're carrying more inventory than you're selling, right? That's sure. what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all the factors kind of touch sell through. So you have excess inventory, you have you know in stock rate, um, you know stranded inventory, and um, and then sell through, right? But every single one of those factors is affected uh, affects sell through. So you need to focus primarily on sell-through. Sell-through is the number one metric that Amazon uses for inventory management uh, within their their uh, within their warehouses. And sell-through is the number of orders you receive per day. How, how quickly you will sell through the order. So you ship in, when you ship in a shipment, how soon until that shipment has sold out, basically. Okay. And what is the right number? How long should it be before mm -hmm. to replenish again? Yeah, so that, that gets into our minimums and our maximums. Um, I mean, ideally, Amazon would like you turning over inventory at all times. Uh, so I'd say between, you know, uh, 60 days usually worth of inventory. Some people go as low as 30, but I don't think that that's a good idea, um, you know, because of geo-ranking and also because Amazon can sometimes be unreliable checking your, your inventory in. So I would say you'd want to turn over inventory every every 30 to 60 days. Okay. So we are actually seeing some inefficiencies and delays uh, at Amazon and recently yeah. where they are taking longer to receive and mm -hmm. they are losing some of this inventory, some of the shipments. Yeah. So that makes it even more important to make sure that you are carrying enough because if you run out of stock then mm -hmm. that's the kiss of death right so everything yeah. falls apart yeah so um as far as calculating your minimum and maximum can mm -hmm. you give us some because this is an algorithm deal right so there's no sure. there's no uh you, you can't look at your you can't look at just one number and say, okay, this is mm -hmm. how I'm going to sell, how many pieces I'm going to sell. So share mm -hmm. with us, you are the expert in this. How do yeah. you calculate your, how much uh, you inventory you should have in stock? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So if you have, you want to set your minimum, I'd start with 30 days toward, um, let's say closer to prime day or closer to uh, this, the holiday sales season, you may want to bump that up to 45 because during those times, Amazon takes longer to check things in. So you want to kind of account for those busy times and Amazon being backlogged. So you might do 45 days during those periods. And then you take your daily sales velocity and you multiply that by that number of days, 30 days or 45 days, and that will get you your minimum. Um, when you calculate your, your daily sales velocity, you need to make sure that you're not you're not including stockouts. So if you're looking at, let's say your 30 day average sales velocity, but eight of those days were stocked out, the average is gonna be thrown off. So you wanna make sure that you're excluding those sale, those um, stockouts from that equation, from that daily sales velocity equation. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Your buy box uh, retention rate, mm -hmm. Amazon reports you can pull that for out of business reports mm -hmm. does that so does that include your stock out dates in other words if you're not in the buy box 100 of the time mm -hmm. uh, during a month does that mean that you were out of stock that's why you lost the buy box or does it just look at the days you were in stock and then checks if it you were in the buy box sure that uh that is something that we use as variables that it, because it having having a res, a reseller business versus a private label business you have to look at different factors the the stockouts when you're looking at a private label business 
there are two things. There's either you stocked out or your listing was suspended, right? And those two things should be treated the same way. When you have a reseller's business, you've got a, a few other things to look at. You have to decide whether you, um, what we do is we say, okay, you have two, two different factors. You have, you had zero inventory at Amazon. We can read that. We can see if you had zero inventory. But then there's, if you had inventory, but you just weren't selling, that's a different thing, right? So we can see those two things as separate. And then we have an extra, uh, an additional factor for that where you can say, let's say I'm selling 20 units a day and that's my consistent. And then all of a sudden I start selling, you know, I sell two units a day. Well, that's going to be a variable. You may want to say anything below this percentage, I want to consider a stock out because something is going wrong, right? So that's where that's where it comes into being a little bit more custom is when you're able to choose it's not just zero inventory, it's the the change in um, my velocity. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the that's the, the calculating that daily stock velocity mm -hmm. is the key because yeah. that's the that's the key driver for every other calculation. Exactly. And that can be influenced by so many things. And just looking at the historical data is not necessarily going to be enough, mainly because, for example, seasonal changes, right? So if yeah. you look at historical data, uh, you look at past 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, mm -hmm. well, for something that is a summer item, and you look at the past 30, 60, 90 days up until April, mm -hmm. it's going to have totally different. Uh, yeah. So it, it, uh, what else are you looking at? I mm -hmm. guess. Sure. Yeah. So uh, to that point, um, when when I created SoStock, it was because there was this, you know, there weren't very many systems out there. And the majority of the systems had this kind of black box algorithm where you couldn't see what was going into it and they wouldn't tell you and you couldn't really trust it. So the approach that I took was, okay, not every business is the same. Some are seasonal, some are not, some, you know, are private label, some are wholesale. It needs to be more customizable. I think that Amazon sellers are much smarter than a cookie cutter algorithm and they know the nuances of their business. So they need tools that will help them to handle those nuances. And one of them being the ability to look at seasonality, to look at trends and to set your sales velocity based on those things. So, so what I'm hearing is you need to look at, um, first of all, don't just go by your immediate past mm -hmm. uh, historical data. Uh, you have to look at last year this time, mm -hmm. right? So, and then you can one way. So I remember when I was doing this uh, selling, I created this huge Excel sheet that would mm -hmm. primarily fetch the data, but I had columns uh, last 30 days mm -hmm. last year last 30 days mm -hmm. and then last 60 days last year last third and then last year next month and therefore that would give me next month this year mm -hmm. so that was something that gave me some idea but yeah. you know what I ended up with there was no real trend it was very hard it was like all yeah. over the place uh, yeah. So that, but some items they had some indicators. So mm -hmm. um, some, I should say, consistency. So um, bottom line, that's another dimension to add. Mm -hmm. So you have yeah. to decide. And if you are doing seasonal, that's even more important because mm -hmm. yeah, forward changing season. Absolutely, um, and and with seasonal, you have. In order to get that right, you need to add a trend element. So when we have our seasonal calculation, when we when we started out years ago, we used to do where it was just giving you all of the sales data for 
last year and replacing it to this year. So if you sold 10 last year, we would put 10 this year. And yet that is, and then if there's a stock out, we would calculate what would you have sold if you hadn't stocked out? That got us only so far. What we ended up doing is now we have seasonality where it sets a baseline and it says, okay, you this is what you sold for the entire year. And, you know, January, based on that baseline, January, you sold, let's say, 80% of that, 80% of that 100% average. Maybe you sold in December, you sold 200% of what your average for the year was. So that's how we set the uh, the pattern. There's a sales pattern, right? The, the sales pattern of, you know, this year I go here and then during this time of the year I, I drop and then I come up and then I drop and then I go up for, for the holidays. That'll give you the pattern. But the other thing that we apply is the trend. So if last year I sold X amount, but I'm already trending 5% up this year, then I should take last year's data and apply that 5% trend so that it's more accurate to the new level that I'm operating operating so, off of. So, I mean, this automatically, it's not like there is a switch says, oh, this is a seasonal product. This is, this is for everything you can say. Mm-hmm. So that's very smart. So you've taken the whole year sales, you've mm-hmm. taken a monthly average, and then whatever that monthly average is for each month, you can see if that month was over or below Mm-hmm. above or below that monthly average yeah and then you can then say okay this year that month mm-hmm. uh, based on how many pieces you've achieved then you can automatically predict the rest of the year what mm-hmm. kind of uh, a quantity sales that you would that's very smart yeah uh, okay that handles another level of complexity mm-hmm. you can then compare yeah. what you come up with uh, against last 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So now we've got right. layer two. So yeah. okay, that's great. Uh, and I'm, I'm uh, enjoying this conversation very much because we're yeah. <laughs> peeling the, uh, the layers. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, I throw you another mm-hmm. uh, layer. How about uh, advertising efforts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's funny that you say that. That was one of the the... the before restock limits, stocking out due to marketing inside of a vacuum, meaning marketing without inventory, having an idea of what the marketing plans were, before restock limits was the number one reason people stocked out. As I talked, I talked to hundreds of sellers throughout the, the growth of SoStock. The first year and a half, I was the only one doing the onboardings, and we onboarded every single person onto the account. So I would talk to sellers and I would ask them, I'd talk to sellers, I'd talk to agencies, you know, PPC agencies, have you ever stopped a client out? 100% answer yes. So marketing plans need to be incorporated into inventory plans in order for inventory to be able to stay ahead and stay proactive, whereas generally inventory teams are reactive. Yes. And you cannot be reactive in inventory management because mm-hmm. that's going to drive suddenly that your your reactive approach becomes the driver and mm-hmm. you can't be just reacting to life, right? So you have to be yeah. taking control. So yeah. how do you factor the marketing plans into your inventory plan? Mm-hmm. Sure. So there are a couple of different ways. One would be to add an additional sales increase. So say a percentage would tag a bunch of different SKUs and say all of these SKUs are going to be part of a marketing campaign, a PPC campaign. So let's apply 10% and say, we think we're going to get 10% lift off of this campaign. And so it would go into that timeline, 10% lift for all of those particular SKUs. Uh, And then you have things like, you know, coupon codes. Well, you know, coupon codes might have an additional lift. So you would add, you know, growth for that. Uh, Lightning deals or, you know, email campaigns, any sort of campaign that's going to take a specific period of time, you can 
program that time you say between this date and this date i'm doing a lightning deal i'm or a seven day deal this week i'm doing a seven day deal and i think i'm going to uh, move an additional 1500 units during that deal so what it will do is we'll take that chop it up into into seven seven different uh sales per day that 1500 would be divided by seven and that would be your daily your new daily sales velocity for that period of time so that now the the person who is running you know the inventory will know okay there's an extra 1500 we have to make sure that we can support that do we have enough inventory do we have to order early because that's depleting our stores so now instead of ordering next month we're ordering this month and so it'll change everything it'll adjust all of the timetables for the inventory team so that they can be aware and be prepared to avoid a stock out so you are adding a percentage as a premium um, because of the advertising efforts mm -hmm. yeah you can add a percentage or you can add a a period of time and uh number of units so those are two different two different approaches depending on the type of advertising okay so this is at SKU level it yeah so these changes you can apply across the entire catalog you can apply uh to to a number of SKUs or to an individual SKU and and those percentage applications as a model those mm -hmm. are the drivers you say you get you got i'm gonna add an extra 10 percent or extra 15 mm percent -hmm. so those are your drivers and then which will then result in the calculated mm -hmm. uh, projected uh, sell-through rate yes okay um i have a different approach okay tell me what you think um so at the end of the day let's assume that you have one SKU, you're selling one SKU, yeah. because whatever you do for one SKU, you can extrapolate across all the SKUs. So sure. uh, you're selling one SKU. At the end of the day, where does the sale come from? The sale comes from conversions. Conversions mm -hmm. come from visitors. Visitors come from click-throughs. Mm -hmm. Click-throughs come from impressions. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, Ultimately, ultimately, your conversion rate is key. And then also number of visitors to the page is key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can run campaigns all day long. Mm -hmm. Their entire goal is to drive people to your product detail page. Yeah. So therefore, my thinking is rather than pull a percentage, why not link it back to the number of visitors just like the way you did the average calculation, monthly mm -hmm. average across the year, and then checking mm -hmm. this month against that monthly average, you could say, okay, what what was the total number of impressions? And mm -hmm. therefore, what, what, what is the impression? And then the apply, you, you get the idea, apply as things are happening, read that real-time data mm -hmm. from your uh, page and then say, okay, based wow. on what's going on, what do you think about that? I think, <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think that's really interesting. You would then want to do the same thing with conversion rate because um, one of the other things I have, uh, I used to talk a lot about uh, copywriting. I have a copywriting agency. Uh, don't talk about it so much because it's been all about so stock, but conversion rates, you know, if you change your listing and you get a 5% a boost, well, then, you know, and that's one of those things we say, okay, put a percentage in for the boost that you think you're going to get or that you start seeing that you're getting um, to, to be able to factor that in. Of course, after a while, those sales will start picking up and then you, you know, will want to shut off that additional growth. But uh, I think it's very interesting to look at page view increases uh, and the conversion rate increases as kind of a leading indicator to to sales we, we had to work on this because yeah this is, this is definitely, <laughs> so i tell you what you do you, you i mean ultimately you have two drivers mm -hmm. that's the number of visitors and conversion yep. rate and then sales, you can yeah. you can set a, a baseline mm -hmm. and your driver is, is variable okay 
what kind of an increase do I want? Mm -hmm. And tell me when I reach this or tell me when I'm below, tell me when I'm above. But mm -hmm. it's the number of visitors and conversion rate. And then yeah. you can read that real time. And as that happens, you can have a, a predictive you know, number mm -hmm. that, yeah. that you can apply to see. Because this is happening all the time. You, you can say, okay, based on this, you can look at what conversion you're getting right now. And then how many the number of visitors you're getting right now. And then mm -hmm. based on that, you say, okay, this is my, this is now layer three. We're talking about layer mm -hmm. three. On layer yeah. three, those two drivers, okay, if it's this, then apply this. Mm -hmm. And then in the meantime, you can track the numbers and see if those conversions are going up or mm -hmm. your uh, visitors are going up. And then mm -hmm. the system will automatically calculate the. Yeah. Yeah, it's another way of uh, isolating trend, I guess, you know, looking at that, you know, the the increase as, you know, over, let's say, two weeks, you know, three weeks to be able to to start pre predicting, you know, where is that going to to level off, do we think? Yeah, because I mean, this 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 has to be part of the system. I'm telling you, because <laughs> what happens is let's say I'm an agency, OK, because everybody mm -hmm. I just had another guest. He's a growth agency, and mm -hmm. right away they drive growth. Okay, what does growth mean? Well, growth means that I'm going to get more orders. Well, where will it come from? Well, I'm mm -hmm. going to get more people to your uh, product page because mm -hmm. I'm going to do such a great job with organic ranking. You're going to get get more people landing on the page. Great. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we are also going to work on your A plus. We, we're going to put premium A plus. And we're mm -hmm. going to change the pictures and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to get better conversion. Well, guess what? Yeah. I'm going to take those numbers and mm -hmm. then I'm going to plug them into your system. And then yeah. your system is going to say, well, this is your inventory required. Yeah. Yeah. See, these things, it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, we, we were acquired by Carbon6. And those are the things that, I, I, that are so interesting about, you know, this new era of the idea of, of linking these tools. Like we, there's a, you know, PPC tool that is part of Carbon6 called PPC Entourage. You know, the data that would be able to, to feed in and get those two tools to communicate. If you've got PPC campaigns that you're starting up, well, we should pass that data on to the inventory team. If the inventory team is starting to, you know, run low on stock, that should go to the PPC, uh, the PPC portion of the tool. So connecting all of these different dots, every action is very connected to every other action. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So because I'm thinking as I'm talking to you, mm -hmm. and uh, very interesting things can be implemented. Okay. Yeah. I've but always get my, it's funny because we, you know, I'm, I'm only, you know, smart as I am. I think, you know, we, we've built a really good system, but we've done that in part uh, with the support of the community. We've crowdsourced a lot of information. So I've talked to so many sellers uh, in the beginning, you know, now going out networking, doing, you know, podcasts such as this. And it's just, you know, getting other people's perspective on how they look at data or the different things that are important to them that have helped us to continue to advance the tool and not be stuck in, you know, this ivory tower or stuck with the idea that we know the best way to do it. You know, there's yeah. so many smart people that uh, have been able to have influence on, on uh, how we've built it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the, it's the collective effort is always the best. Um, mm -hmm. so I have one more layer mm -hmm. about the trends on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. We don't do any scraping at this point, but there are ideas. Um, we've actually talked with uh, Seller Tools as one of the other tools, one of the other Carbon6 tools, and they have trends within niches. So we have had that conversation of, can we, can we, they lend us that data. We don't do any scraping on SoStop. You know, other tools, you know, may do scraping. But um, we don't we don't have the aggregate data of niches. Seller Tools does have that aggregate data, so we've had that discussion of you know to add that trend element, that market trend element, which is different than a single product's own trend. 
that that element I think is you know very interesting and a lot of how it is developed is through looking at keyword searches you know that specific product may have been great and may have been really popular last year and there may be have been you know thousands upon thousands of keyword searches and now there's only hundreds upon hundreds of keyword searches well that is a huge indicator you know that is a leading indicator of the market and so that would be really interesting is to to decide part of that inventory purchasing decision, do I buy 10,000 units? But if a product is on the way out, maybe that's not the right choice. So um, that that's interesting too. I'll have to, to, to bookmark this podcast for for ideas for you know future development. Yeah, I mean, look, anybody listening to us, we're not, by the way, those who are listening, we're not having software talk here. What we're talking right. about is methodology. Software is, yeah. is just a tool. Of course, it makes your mm-hmm. life easier, makes it more efficient, but the, it, the, it's based on an idea. Uh, what's the, the methodology here? And we're talking about methodology. And so far, what mm-hmm. we covered is layer number one. What is your uh, daily uh, uh, order velocity in the past 30, mm-hmm. 60, 90 days? Uh, layer number two, is your seasonality and we we you know what you shared with us is i i love the method of very simple you know pick your monthly average and then see where you are this month compared mm-hmm. to last year's monthly average so that way uh, you can see and then each month where is it uh, compared to the average that's another great yeah. one and the third one we discussed uh, kind of brainstormed around is yeah. look at your number of visitors to your page, look at your number of, uh, look at your conversion rate, and then based on what you hope to accomplish going forward, because this doesn't need to look at the past. All mm-hmm. it's looking at is what you are achieving now, and therefore what you hope to achieve going forward, which will then factor in the advertising effort. So that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, whatever you're achieving today, you're likely to achieve that going forward. So then it's zero. So that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you are getting from the others. But if somebody comes along and says, okay, we're going to advertise, we're going to do this, or you decide you're going to do that, you just plug in what kind of a difference it will make. And that will give you another uh, bump. Now, the fourth layer is um, this category. More people want, for example, masks. Mm-hmm. Perfect one, right? So in 2019, how many mask sales were there were? And mm-hmm. in 2020, how many there were? I mean, that, yeah. that's a no-brainer, but right. uh, that's an example of, and I'm sure there are other things in every category. So you know what I'd like to do? I wonder if there is a way to get this number. Uh, maybe one of the Carbon 6 family members will have mm-hmm. You know, when you go to the best sellers page on Amazon, yeah. if you go uh, amazon.com forward slash GP forward slash best sellers, mm-hmm. you can now drill down on, first of all, the number of categories you see there is a lot more. So yeah. you can just go based on that. But if you take that category three as mm-hmm. a whole, yeah, you fit into one of those anyway, because mm-hmm. when you list your product, you have to pick one of those. Right. I wonder if there is a number associated with every one of those category three members into showing the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in yeah, in terms of of trends, like there there are software such as as Keepa, which will show you your trend. So you can plug in the Keepa the Keep algorithm or the Keepa Chrome extension. And then every time you go to Amazon, you look at a listing, it'll show you that trend. Some of those, that data you have to pay for, so you have to have that membership, but they do have an API as well. So that's something that um, that I've been eyeing recently as well, is that you know perhaps being able to plug into your top three competitors, pull that trend data from your top three competitors or something, just an example, just you know one of the, the many things that uh, could be added in terms of these layers as we talk about. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 listing by the trend, listing by listing and looking at the ASINs, I'm more interested in the, because one of the things that we always want to know is what's the market size, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if the market size, you can say, okay, you go do a search today for a search term, and then whatever comes up on that first page, you can see how much they are generating in sales. Well, there is your market size. Uh, but I would be more interested in the category in general because category will govern. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what you are interested in there is not necessarily, I should say, what I'm interested to see mm -hmm. is not necessarily how many units or how much in sales, but in that category, what is the overall trend? Is it up or is it down? Mm -hmm. And then you can apply that to your category, mm -hmm. um, your overall, because whatever you've done last year, it is likely to be more or less based on that category. That yeah. You know, so that mm -hmm. would be a, another layer. Yeah. So, yeah. If you can, if you can pull that data, I'm wondering if you have to pull all the separate data for you, or if you had to pull that data and store it over time. Uh, it just depends on what, what is a, uh, you know, I think you know some of these tools that are already tracking on that would be the tools to to tap into, like Keepa, because Keepa yes. does keep track of it, and it's a you know fairly uh seasoned software you know very you know it's not like it just started this year and started collecting data they've been collecting data for years so there are i think there are places to to do that um possibly be able to take that data and turn it into uh absolutely something yeah. something compiled i i attended this conference um i believe i don't know about eight nine years ago now it was a big data conference um, I don't know if you ever see any of those movies about, you know, the, the start of the Silicon Valley revolution with Apple and yeah. Microsoft, and yeah. there's no computers yet. And you go to this computer show in those movies, they show that, that they would go to this computer show. It's a small room, a few mm. booths, and that's all the industry was. Right. So this big data conference was exactly like that. It was a small room. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few people, uh, a few keynote speakers, and one of them said that data, big data, not data, but data, mm -hmm. um, is is big data is becoming the thing. So everybody's not talking about it. However, he said what people don't know yet is that top consulting companies they did multiple proof of concept projects. Mm -hmm. And what they found was out of every dollar they spent on those POCs, their return was 89 cents. Really? Wow. Words, every big data yeah. uh, initiative resulted in a loss. And mm -hmm. then they started studying this further. They said, why is that? And what they discovered was the following. First of all, big data is a complex operation. Because what is the definition of big data? It's too much data coming in in a in a in a time frame, uh, so that it's hard to handle. It's mm -hmm. massive volumes of data in total to store, mm -hmm. massive volumes of data to report. So therefore, the technology—it's not like good luck loading your Excel file with five million lines. It will, yeah. it will never open. So right. uh, as yet, this is so easy to accumulate very quickly. So therefore, they said that the technology knowledge required and therefore the skill set needed for big data to collect, store, and process mm -hmm. is totally different than using that data. Yeah. And that skill doesn't yet exist about how to use the data. Mm -hmm. uh, all our focus is on collect it, store it, process it. Yeah. And that doesn't make any money. Then right. comes the second layer. And the second layer is, okay, you're getting data from one place. Well, it's not enough because you need multiple sources of data. So mm -hmm. therefore, like, for example, you looking at your daily, we just did, you know, four layers. Uh, yeah. Just looking at your daily cell through it. That's one source. The other source is advertising data. So you need to combine. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the key is to pick up data, by the way, a lot of data from multiple sources. That's the second piece. And the third and most important is turn that data into actionable data. Yeah, exactly. And that's the part that's an unknown. So, okay, you get this, you get that, you know, keep up delivers this and so on and so. Uh, but what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. And, and my example is when you're driving a car, your dashboard shows how fast you're going. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you're on the expressway, it shows 35 miles an hour. What do you do? Mm -hmm. That's the key, yeah. right? 
Right. If you have somebody behind you honking, you have to mm -hmm. speed up. It's the expert. Well, yeah. if you are in a built-up area, you're doing 50 miles an hour. What do you do? Then you have to slow yeah. down. So you have to right. know to slow down. You have to know how to slow down, not just slam on the brakes, but yeah. slow. Then also you have to know when to do it. So I guess that's the that's the part that fascinates me the most. So mm -hmm. uh, just having the data is not enough. So Chelsea, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about something else that you and I discussed when we first connected. Yeah. Optimization of your products, your, your mm -hmm. product packaging. So talk to yeah. us about that. That's another area where you actually increase profit, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, something I'm I'm very passionate about. Uh, I've I've always been. I started so stock because I wasn't making as much profit as I wanted to, and so I started with inventory. And inventory has you know if you stock out, if you overstock, overorder, all of those things cost you money. So profit has always been my end game, and this was kind of where I started. And I started looking at well, what are the other places that people try to save money? Okay, you've got sourcing. You try to negotiate with your supplier. You've got uh, trying to find the most you know, feasible ways to, to ship your, your goods, uh, freight forwarders, and you, know, you try to get different quotes. You look at your PPC campaigns, your advertising campaigns, but, and then reimbursements. And those were kind of the, the four places that people looked to recover uh, their profit. Inventory was that other place that I kind of honed in on in 2018, 2019. Supply chain has been something that I'm now have shifted towards. I, I teach people about it. I talk about it a lot because I believe there's huge opportunity for, for people. Everything is dictated by size and weight. Fulfillment fees, storage fees, shipping, all of those things handling, but we aren't looking at that. We're just accepting our products for our products. When we start to peel back the layers and look at our products, you know, I have, uh, you know, beauty products are a great example. I have a, a jar of, of uh, moisturizer. The jar is this big. The, the amount of, of product is that big. And then there's a box. All of that you're paying for. You're paying in excess fulfillment fees. You're paying in storage fees. You have to have more cartons. So you're paying on a per carton basis. If you're using a 3PL, you're paying for them to put a label on every single carton. Uh, you're storing every single pallet. You're having to palletize when it comes out of the container. Every single thing is adding more money to your expenses for every single product so that you know, I call it, it, it the term death by paper cuts. It's every little thing, every, every little thing that's costing you money. So you look at supply chain and how can we, how can we reduce the size or reduce the weight or both of everything that we're doing across our supply chain? So how do you, what is your methodology for optimizing your, your overall product handling, so to speak? Sure. Uh, starting with looking at the product itself and is there a way to reduce my product, my packaging size and not just reduce it, but reduce it so that it's going to reduce my fees. Obviously you're, you have to look at the fee structure. You know, that's the other, one of the other passions that I have, one of the other obsessions is looking at and trying to dissect Amazon's fee structure, Amazon's capacity manager some of these policies that affect inventory and affect the profitability. What does Amazon actually mean about each of these things? And when they have their fee structure, they changed their fee structure completely to add dimensional weight. So you have to look at the size of the product. Is it small standard? Is it large standard? Can we move it from large standard to small standard? Can we reduce our, our cost by reducing the weight? in some way? Can we reduce it by reducing the size? One of the, the, the things that people aren't looking at, we actually are going to be releasing a tool called the, a profit or a product resizer to look at how can we reduce the fees on this? And the weight is an, a, 
an obvious one. The size is an obvious one when it comes to oversize or large standard to small standard. Dimensional weight is the tricky one. That's the one when, you know, working on putting the, uh, the formula together to figure out how to calculate how I can reduce a fee by reducing dimensional weight. It's actually the biggest opportunity right now is dimensional weight. People don't realize it because you may have a product where, and I've run these reports, you only have to reduce it by, let's say, 50 cubic, cubic feet, which could be a quarter inch on on any one side and you move and you save 16 cents per unit you move it into that lower size tier there are not a lot of people who are looking at their business this way and that's just the start you could be sitting on tens of thousands of dollars in profit across your entire catalog just by focusing on these things yeah you know ironically i used to be in transportation business a mm. long time ago. Yeah. And uh, I, it just, you know, life takes you places and the opportunities came along. Uh, and and I was in it to the extent that, you know, handling air freight, sea freight, yeah. and, you know, uh, road mm -hmm. freight. So um, in transportation business, nobody cares about actual dimensions. Yeah. Everybody is focused on volume weight because what you do is when, when there is a there's a consignment that's going to go from A to B, it needs to be picked up. And the first thing that they are asking is how much space does it take up? Yeah. So the best kind of cargo is the kind of cargo that takes up little space, but very heavy mm. because they are very rare. Mm -hmm. Most of the cargo, based on the calculations of volume weight, when you translate, like that's the standard question, which one is heavier, uh, a ton of cotton or a ton of lead? Which mm -hmm. one is heavier? Well, it's well both it's the same, right? but yeah. except good luck transporting a ton of cotton. You're going to need God knows how many truckloads, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Most, most products are like cotton. They take up more space. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I'm always focused on this volume weight, except when I did this, I was in England, so they calculate in different uh, yeah. different units of measure. Here, it's different. Uh, mm -hmm. But the principle is the same. You have to figure out how much space it takes up and what yeah. it translates to in terms of weight and then right. compare that to the actual weight. And you are yeah. going to find most cases, your volume weight is higher than your actual weight. Mm -hmm. So yeah. You're gonna have to do something about it. So, um, so in your case, you are talking about reducing the amount of space it takes. Yeah. So therefore, reducing the amount of chargeable weight. Right. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's you know it's a mathematical equation. It's it, it can be a lot, but especially if you're trying to look at your entire catalog. Uh, but it's worth it. It's one of those things, and I I you know shout it from stages, podcasts, webinars, all of that. It's the thing that's going to, it's, it's the long play. It's not even that long. Like SEO trying to rank a website is a long, much longer play than, than changing the dimensions of your, you know, of your product. Uh, true story, a friend of mine um, named uh, Dr. Travis Ziegler, he has a PPC agency called Profitable Pineapple. Uh, he, his business that he ended up actually selling, he started as an eye doctor, which is why, you know, the Dr. Travis he had an eye brand, eye brand, an eye care brand, and he was selling sun, sunglasses as one of those. He had it in a hard case. He reduced it to a soft case and was able to reduce the, the fees, you know, the storage fees, the fulfillment fees. He could put more units per carton, more units per pallet. So he ended up saving on that one, on that one SKU, $70,000 a year, just on the one SKU. So if you look at your entire business across your entire catalog, you know, how, you know, you reduce, let's say 16 cents here, 20 cents there, you know, and then you compound it with all of the, the items, all of the savings you have on, you know, your carton fees, your pallet storage fees, your palletization fees, you can get more into every single container doing this one thing and then 
spreading it, you know, taking it further down the road in terms of your carton palette and all that, it has a compounding effect. So it it will be, I think, for most businesses, one of the most profitable things they do if they actually do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's so true. The packaging is everything. And I remember, you know, when I was an Amazon seller, I was in health and beauty category. We sold fragrances and these fragrances, I mean, at the end of the day, it's liquid, right? So what makes it expensive is the, the formula and how it smells. Yeah. But they would come in these elaborate bottles. I mean, it's a whole the industry to design a fragrance bottle is a whole job and it's it's an extremely expensive job and as yet you know they create these bottles it's so unique and heavy they are heavy yeah. uh-huh. and why is that it's if you think about it, it's very simple how would you feel if i sold chanel number no. five in a plastic small bottle to you you right. wouldn't think it's worth as much right yeah luxury yeah, it's the perception. So yeah. they want to create that perception and that perception comes from the packaging and the packaging, the heavier, the more substantial looking, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, the more money you can ask for. But then guess what? You're going to pay a lot more for transportation, yeah. for storage and everything else. And that's mm-hmm. where you have to get creative. I mean, yeah, you know, things, have- are, things are changing because, you know, you have retail and on retail, it was it's a, more about you know, being able to touch and feel, experience it that way, and also taking up more space on the shelf so you get more noticed. Nowadays, you have images. People don't get to touch it. So your images are what sells. You can be a little bit more um, flexible and you can reduce the size of things because you don't need to impress by taking up that shelf space or by, you know, having that, that you know, good touch and feel factor. Yeah, you, you know, I have a funny story. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, I didn't grow up in this country. And uh, so we would have uh, friends, mm-hmm. some family members, they would travel abroad. And then we would always ask, oh, can you bring me this? Can you bring me that? You know, a typical thing. So yeah. it was always a burden on anybody who was traveling abroad. It was, they would have yeah. this long shopping list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what would happen is they would come back and bring the stuff. I would always feel bad about the fact that they would always take the item out of its packaging because it mm-hmm. would take up space in their in their uh, in a suitcase or whatever. So mm-hmm. I would end up with the thing in a plastic bag. Oh. I never mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah. So it's like a thrill for me. Finally, I move. Uh, I move. You know, now I'm able to go buy these things in stores. Mm-hmm. And it was like I would keep the packaging for a long time. Uh-huh. It was like a big because I something I never had. Uh, so now fast forward. Now these days, how does Amazon ship anything? It's all you know in the you know mm-hmm. Amazon box, like right? it just has the prime ta- tape on it. So it's all about getting rid of the excess stuff that is not necessary because you've got the mm-hmm. pictures, you've got the videos. That's what people look at. So. Yeah. So anybody who is really into heavy packaging, the message Mm -hmm. is cut it down, right? (laughs) Yeah. Reduce it as much as possible, but, but do it in a way that, you know, it's actually going to be beneficial because you don't want to go through all of that and realize that, Hey, it didn't actually make an impact. You know, if you reduce the size of something, but the weight is too heavy, or if you reduce the weight of something, but don't realize that the the dimensional weight is higher than the weight. Well, why did you even reduce the weight? You need to make sure that ultimately whatever change you're making is going to affect the the bottom line. And then consider not going up to the edge of something, having a little bit less than going up to the edge because Amazon remeasures things. And right. sometimes they'll remeasure it. Maybe the box gets squashed a little bit and that machine remeasures it and it's slightly off. And so now you knocked yourself back up into that other size tier and you have to go back and you have to open a case and they have to remeasure. And it's just, it's a, it, it gets to be a headache if you're just so close to that line. So you want to give yourself a cushion. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. You know, this, this is a, a fascinating conversation. I love how like straight to the point kind of... Uh, mm-hmm conversation Uh it is 
So this was great, Chelsea. So let's now get to know you a little bit. I'm always interested (laughs) in the background of my guests and particularly their childhood because Mm -hmm. we we go through life, we go from job to job and and career to career. But um, tell us, let's start with where you grew up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, I grew up in in L.A. in kind of the valley area. So my first uh, my first home that I really remember growing up in was in Toluca Lake, which it was in the middle of L.A., but had kind of like a a small town type of feel, you know, riding bikes and walking to the liquor store. You know, we called it the gum store because that's what we got at the liquor store was gum Um, and, um, you know, selling little pictures on the side to the neighbors that walked by those types of things. You know, it was maybe, you know, the 80s. It was a different time, I guess. I kind of, you know, wish that kids had that experience still. But that's kind of my you know, where I grew, grew up. You were selling things to people. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of those things. You know, it's funny because I think I always knew that I was going to be, you know, have some sort of a business. I would draw pictures and sell them. Uh, later on at my friend's house, we we had a little garden where we grew herbs and cherry tomatoes. And then we put the little t- tomatoes in bags, put them in our wagon and go door to door selling the tomatoes to uh, the neighbors. <laughs> So, I mean, how, how did that interest come about? Um, I mean, my parents, my, my parents had businesses. My dad had, um, he had a copywriting business or not a copywriting, a copy graphics business. So, you know, kind of like a Kinko's, he had that business and he first was a manager of one of of a, a different copy services business. And then he and my uncle opened up their own uh they it it didn't last um they had it for 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 a few years though and then my mom had a daycare and then it got turned into a school so i was um i was in her private school i think when i by the time i graduated there were only 30 other people in in the school and my brother and i my older brother and i were the only people in the graduating class but just to see kind of have those influences on them going and working for themselves. Also, the so they were working somewhere and then ended up becoming the business owner to run the mm-hmm. same kind of operation. My dad, yeah, and then my mom, she just had a daycare and then she turned it into uh, a little private school. I see. So yeah. it was an entrepreneurial family. Yeah, yeah. So was it just seeing this and hearing the conversations or was there encouragement from your parents for you to get into business? I think it was just, you know, I don't remember them. Like my dad always encouraged me to write. Um, That's one of the other passions that I have. Uh, He always encouraged the writing side of things. And I think that I just liked to, I kind of had an inclination and they would just, let me do it. You know, I drew pictures and I was like, oh, we can go sell this because we did it back to the gum store. I wanted money for gum. That must, the first club that I ever created was called the, the gum club. And so we would get money and then we would go buy gum. And so it was my friends and I, we'd, we'd you know, wash your mom's car or sell little pictures to the neighbors, uh, whatever it was to, to buy gum was I think the first ever impetus. I haven't even thought of that, like why? So I'm just kind of putting that that, that together now as we would get this little box and we put money in there and we put the gum in there. And then as we were running out of gum, we had to make more money. <laughs> so the gum was your driver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, you, when you're a kid, you know. So you still like gum? I don't really chew gum as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should start again. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> look, your, 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 I guess your success today is, mm-hmm. uh, is because you got into making money, so to speak, mm-hmm. to get yeah. what you wanted. So I, I guess mm-hmm. gum represented, gum represented what you wanted at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it was, it's funny because my little brothers, I have an older brother and then two younger brothers. I never remember getting an allowance. My older brother and I, we never got an allowance. Um, my my older brother would ask for money from my mom, but I did babysitting. I did things to make my own money. My little brother's got an allowance. And 
I, I really like the idea of not having to ask my mom for money and just having my own money. Uh, money allowed me to do things that I wanted to do, like buy concert tickets or, you know, go to the movies, these, you know, buy candy at the candy store. Uh, so I just like the freedom of it, I think. Yeah, funny you say that because I remember growing up as a kid. First of all, my my parents were very strict uh, in terms of working. They said, "No, we don't want you making any money. Don't think about making money because they were afraid that if I tasted how mm -hmm. good it was to make money, I would yeah. stop studying and mm -hmm. never continue." Uh -huh. So, uh, so that was a big deal. They said, uh, "You know, after you graduate from two things about making money." So working somewhere, making money is a no-no. Mm -hmm. The second thing was playing cards mm -hmm. was a no-no because uh -huh. they associated that with gambling. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, no, we don't want... And, and my, my father said, I never forget, that the day you graduate from college is mm -hmm. when, I, when you and I sit down and I'll teach you how to play cards. Of <laughs> course, by that time, it was too late because all my mm -hmm. friends knew how to play and I, I uh -huh. had no idea. So to this yeah. day, I don't know how to play cards. Uh, uh -huh. So th that was the, the whole thing. And my father, not allowing me to work anywhere, it, all I have is my uh, allowance. Mm -hmm. He would never pay my, my allowance. He was always mm -hmm. behind. So, <laughs> yeah. Always behind. And uh, mm -hmm. so they wouldn't let me work. They wouldn't let me get any money myself. And then as yet, you know, they wouldn't pay either. So I had to figure out how to get things done. Right. Uh, with my own means so in your case mm -hmm. sounds like you know you want it to be independent mm -hmm. to get what you want and gum yeah. just represented it yeah uh, mm -hmm. so i i bet you today something else replaced that gum that you have something mm -hmm. that you always aspire yeah. for now. yeah just the idea of not having to you know being able to control my own schedule and to create something that was mine you know, that I, I built that, I made that, um, not having to work for, for someone else, I think. And, you know, I've always wanted to have a lifestyle. I want, one of the goals that I have is to be able to build enough, uh, build enough revenue, enough income, um, enough money to be able to then go and take some time off and write. That was always my objective was right. But, you know, I had this kind of left brain, right brain type of thing where, you know, creative, I want to do the writing. And the idea was, oh, we'll get famous off of writing. But then digging into it, seeing that the majority of people make less than a teacher's salary writing. So I had to kind of go, well, I really like business as well. Why don't I go make some money and then I'll, you know, do the writing thing. And so that's kind of been the um, the trade-off was now I'm doing the the business thing and I really enjoy that, but wanting to to build up a lifestyle and then take the time to do writing instead of having to work for someone else. Because I did that. I worked for someone else for years, very stressful job in finance. Uh, and then I'd get home and I'd write a thousand words a day, you know, and and it's not a sustainable life to being creative. No, no, it's it's uh, it's opposite forces are always in play. One is a routine, the other is creative, and then it takes. There is a, actually there is a John Cleese. You know who that is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's actually a very interesting guy because he gives speeches. He takes place in in, in panels and things about uh, creativity and uh, afterlife and things like that. Very mm -hmm. uh, deep stuff. But he has, especially for anybody listening, look up on YouTube, uh, it's speech by John Cleese about creativity. So mm -hmm. he goes through it and he says, there are five things needed for, creative, for creativity in business, in mm -hmm. management. And he goes through, you know what two of them are? Mm -hmm. So he goes through, he says the first one, and the second one, he says time. Mm -hmm. And then he explains it. And then the third and the fourth one, he goes time again. So uh -huh. you yeah. need time twice because, first of all, you need time. Yeah. You can't just rush it. You need time, mm -hmm. number one. That's the first time. Mm 
The yeah. second yeah. time is once you have that time and then you put it in place and then you sit down, you need time to get into it yeah. so that you can actually be creative. So yeah. you need time twice. So that's why I say opposing forces. You know, one is routine. You have to you have to work. You have to be productive. Come home. Yeah. Then you have to eat. You have to sleep. And then you've got little time. And then in that time, you need time yeah. to get into it. And by the time. And also these things take uh, a life of their own, right? So when you start in that creative process, it goes on a long yeah. time. You get into uh, the flow. you know it, yeah. it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, it actually connects very well to a book that I just read. It's an amazing book. It was called, and I think I need I needed it at the the time. It's funny because I went to this you know little bookstore, and I had been thinking, you know, I really want to change my lifestyle. And, you know, there's so many distractions, so many different things. Uh, you know, social media and Netflix and you know all of these things, and I I really need you know to to kind of come back to myself a little bit more. Look down. And there's this book. I couldn't find it late, later on, went back nowhere else. It just happened to be sitting on this table, you know, very, you know, separate from the, the, the display there is called stolen focus. And it's all about distraction, but it's on a macro level, on a societal level, all of the things that, that distract us from actually getting into flow state, being able to, you know, spend the time to be creative, to connect with people, all of the ways that, society has been built up to, to distract us. And, you know, not just on a personal level, but how do we solve this on a societal level? And it's a, a big thing to kind of shift the entire society, you know, and it's something that, you know, probably won't happen in our generation, you know, and, but it's, it's something to, to make you look at the world differently. You know, we're so distracted and we're, you know, with all these other things, we do have the time, you know, but we're so run ragged at the end of the day. Then we're like, oh, well, let me just watch a show or let me just check Facebook. And I've been really shifting my lifestyle a lot, you know, on the heels of reading this book. And I think it's, you know, very, very um, valuable. And it's very freeing to, to go, you know what? I have time to read a book. Let me go outside. Let me, you know, sit down and let me turn things off for a little while. Well, this is a little bit like uh, one of those sayings that Yogi Berra said, you know, that, you know, he has several, oh, you know, nobody yeah. goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's like that. I, I have a, a, a similar one of my own. We're mm -hmm. so busy wasting our time. We have no time for anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what exactly. it's I mean, can you really yeah. can can you not live without the Netflix and, and others? Can you not live without going through the TikTok reels and uh, right. of course, but you're so busy. But anyway, well, it's a great yeah. conversation, Chelsea. And you are obviously uh you know what you want in life and you wanna go get it, and that's what uh you are doing ever since <laughs> you decided you wanted to chew gum as, <laughs> yes. as a little kid. Uh, thank you. And so tell us, uh, how can people reach you? And more important, how can people look into SoStock? Sure. Yeah. Uh, go to SoStock.com forward slash connect. That's where, you know, my, my socials are, my email. Um, also, you know, demo free, free tools. Some of the free tools that I mentioned about, you know, you know, changing your carton size. Um, and then, you know, check out carbon6.io. SoStock is listed there with the other tools that uh that they've acquired great thank you very much chelsea it's a great conversation and i'm sure people will check it out thank you thank you and this brings us to the end of another episode and i'll see you on the next one if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to subscribe rate and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too